I'm Elizabeth Slattery, and welcome to SCOTUS 101, where we break down what's happening at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. This is a special summer session edition of SCOTUS 101, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the long-awaited Kavanaugh confirmation hearing. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues Tom Jipping and Hans von Spakovsky. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing was this week, and it was... A bit of a circus. On the first day, Chairman Chuck Grassley barely got a word in before Senator Kamala Harris interrupted, saying they needed to delay the hearing so the Democrats could review additional documents from Kavanaugh's record that had been released to the committee the evening before. There were also more than 60 protesters who were arrested the first day. Uh, There were some women dressed up like they were from The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, And later in the week, a White House staffer and former Kavanaugh clerk who sat behind the nominee uh, was accused of flashing a white power symbol, some real highlights of the week. Uh, And then uh, on on his final day before the the committee, a dozen or so of the girls from his basketball teams from over the years uh, came uh, came to show up and and show their support for the nominee. I, I loved that moment. But anyway, let's get into some of the highlights highlights of the week. So first up, we had Cory Booker and his I am Spartacus moment and the <laughs> the leaked or maybe not leaked documents. Right. So Tom, get us up to speed on what happened there. I'm sorry, I, well, can't, I can't help laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I wasn't even sure. I mean, I'd heard of Spartacus, but I wasn't even sure what he was talking about. Um, S- Senator Booker, of course, announced his opposition to Kavanaugh on July 9. So that was uh, almost 60 days ago. So um, he obviously didn't say that in the hearing, but that puts in a little different perspective all of the the demands for documents and and the desire for more information. It's like mm-hmm. none of that information, none of the process uh, w- meant anything to him when he already made up his mind uh, 60 days ago. And But now it suddenly does. The, r- rather than engage Kavanaugh and his record and substantive issues, some of the Democrats led by uh, Booker – wanted to focus on the process Mm -hmm. and um, the Judiciary Committee has received about 400,000, 500,000 pages of documents from the George W. Bush Library, the National Archives, and they've received it on a rolling basis, meaning Mm -hmm. it wasn't just one dump truck that, you know, backed (laughs) up and, you know, uh, tipped over everything uh, through the door. And so they had had over 400,000 pages already. Another group of documents was delivered the day before the hearing. Democrats seized on that to say, um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to have all of these documents and we need to have read all of them before this hearing can take place. And in Booker's case especially, he wanted to talk with Kavanaugh about individual emails that had been part of that docu- that set of documents. Those documents, some of the documents were labeled committee confidential. And that only means that uh, those documents haven't been fully vetted to decide whether they can be made public. But in the meantime, the chairman wanted committee members and their staff to have access to them. Mm-hmm. So this was actually a mechanism for Booker and his staff to have more access sooner to more documents. And yet he was using that to suggest that the committee was hiding something. So he said, I'm going to release to the public this committee confidential document that I want to uh, discuss with Brett Kavanaugh. Of course, he discussed it with Kavanaugh without letting Kavanaugh see it, but that was a different issue. Um, so he wanted to do that. And I think I think he wanted to present himself as some kind of a trailblazer, some sort of I'm 
you know, falling on my sword and, and putting myself <laughs> in jeopardy and I might get kicked out of the Senate, but it's all for the greater good and blah, blah, blah. Um, the greater good of his 2020 the presidential greater good, yeah, campaign. Uh, I felt like I was at a presidential campaign launch party or something. But <laughs> um, but then it became known that actually the night before he had done what Chairman Grassley had invited all senators to do, which is if there were some of those committee confidential documents that they wanted to be made public, all they had to do was identify them. The chairman would look at them and they would decide whether they could be made public that had already been done. Booker asked that it be done. So in the hearing, he said, you know, this is secret. I'm going to release this at, you know, jeopardy of my life and all this. <laughs> when he had already asked that those documents be made public and those documents were made public. It was a charade uh, and it was it was fraudulent is what it was uh, for, for other purposes than just trying to understand Judge Kavanaugh's record. Yeah. And so then the one that you mentioned in, in particular that that uh, the email, which the subject line was, racial profiling. I'm not sure that that Senator Booker read beyond that because the the email went on to discuss uh, racial profiling in, you know, airport security screening post 9-11. And Kavanaugh went on to say that he preferred race neutral methods of screening. Yeah, in fact, you, right. you pointed that out to me, um, <laughs> you know, looking more into the content of those emails. Um, Booker has decided both for his Senate service and I think for his presidential campaign, he's really going to focus almost solely on race and interpret every single issue in that way. So he wanted to suggest, oh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh had in the past talked about racial profiling. He won't talk about it now. So I'm going to release this uh, smoking gun or something. But then, like I say, as you pointed out to me, when you read the emails, Kavanaugh um, actually opposed racial profiling. Yeah, but look, it's very clear that that was a deliberate policy. If you watch the video, it's very clear that he is trying to raise the impression with the audience, with the reporters, that Kavanaugh was in favor of racial profiling. And I think he was gambling on the 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 uh, fact that that would get widely reported. Mm -hmm. But the fact that if you actually read it. And Kavanaugh says, no, all our policies for airport security should be race neutral. That would get secondary coverage and it would be his what he said that would get the coverage and that would be the impression would be left. So this was this this was a it wasn't just a charade. I mean, it was a deliberate, intentional act I to try that, to defraud. the I, I American think that people. that's true. An awful lot of what's going on in the debate over the courts and the Constitution generally, but certainly the, camp, the Kavanaugh nomination, is taking advantage of the fact that most of our fellow citizens know virtually nothing about the judiciary, the Constitution. They right. don't know mm -hmm. many of these details. So the only thing they'll hear is what Hamas was just talking about. They'll, they'll hear the first thing. They, and they won't know the rest of the story. They won't even know whether what they've heard is true. And, and that's right. being used to for political advantage. And, and let me make a point here because this isn't uh, this hasn't gotten into any of the news about this. I was actually at the Justice Department two months after 9-11. I was in the Civil Rights Division and we received a directive to put out uh, new rules and policies on uh, uh, federal law enforcement and what factors they could take into when, when they were stopping people suspected of crimes in airports and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we put out guidance that said it could not uh, contain any kind of uh, uh, policy like that. There could be no racial profiling. Mm -hmm. So in fact, what the Bush administration did is exactly what Brett Kavanaugh said it ought to do.
So moving from Booker's presidential uh, launch to Kamala Harris's, Hans, tell us about the gotcha moment on the Mueller investigation <laughs> that was missing the gotcha. I, yeah, I mean, that that also was really odd. Kam, uh, Kamala Harris, who we also should say is apparently uh, launching a presidential campaign and used the hearing uh, to do that, started asking uh, Judge Kavanaugh, um, well, have you talked with anybody about the Mueller investigation? And have you spoken to particular lawyers and a law firm involved in all of this? And Kavanaugh was clearly confused. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 was saying to her, well, have you got specific uh, lawyers that you're talking about? No, no, have you just talked to anybody about this? I mean, <laughs> it was these general questions. And he said, well, certainly I and the other judges on the Court of Appeals, we talk about what's in the news. But everyone, I think, expected that she would ask him specifically, did you talk to this particular lawyer about this case? Did you talk to this particular lawyer about this case? And I guess... Maybe she hoped he'd say no, and then she'd say, oh, no, I've got you. I've got the email. i got the email. You actually <laughs> talked to him. But she never actually came up with any names, and when he basically didn't uh, wasn't, wasn't able to answer the question because he didn't know what she was talking about, she just dropped it. Yeah, and I love that uh, Senator Mike Lee was chairing the hearing at that point, and he chimed in and said, I mean, law firms across the country have hundreds of hundreds right. of employees. So, you know, maybe we could get a roster for <laughs> for the judge to look at so he could review who uh, who works there. I, I, I thought the weirdest part of that, though, was when Harris said to Kavanaugh, it looks like you're thinking of a particular person, but you don't want to tell us. <laughs> I, I, she actually said that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you, well, you Can you both, read his you, mind? Well, you both know how much it takes to make me speechless. And <laughs> I just, I, she, she said that and I just shook my head thinking that has got to be one of the weirdest things. And I worked on the Judiciary Committee for 15 years. Yeah. One of the weirdest things I've ever heard a senator say. But that that's actually, I think, uh, Tom, that's a good description of this whole hearing. It was weird. I mean, it, it was, uh, I mean, the closest thing I can think of that this comes to, frankly, were the McCarthy hearings. I mean, I cannot believe the, the, uh, the character assassination, the innuendo, the attacks that were conducted by uh, Democratic senators, including trying to obstruct it, and the constant interruptions by uh, protesters uh, in the back of the room uh, to the point where it, it seemed to me that even – I mean, these folks were clearly allies of the Democrats, but even the Democrats, I think like Diane Feinstein, started getting annoyed because at one point the protesters who were on her side politically were interrupting her. Yeah, and and Senator uh, Pat, Patrick Leahy was getting irritated as well. So right. the old school Democrats were annoyed. <laughs> well, and, and remember, all of those things came from Democratic senators who had already announced their opposition to Brett Kavanaugh. Right. I mean, right. in other words, all of this weird participation in the process came from senators for whom this process was irrelevant mm-hmm. when they already made up their mind weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, and, and it's important to make the point that uh, after the hearing started, I think it was Dick Durbin admitted in a, a uh, interview that, in fact, the obstruction um, that the Democrats uh, did on the first day of the hearing where for, what, two hours they prevented it from actually getting started, that was a planned strategy. There mm-hmm. was a phone call the weekend before conducted by uh, the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, in which they, they planned all of that out. They're, they're going to resist uh, in any way that they can. <laughs> so, Hans, um, you also wanted to talk about Senator Maisie Hirono and her line of questioning about the Rice v. Cayetano decision. Yeah, I think this is important to, to mention because— um, I, I think it's actually embarrassing and shocking 
that a United States senator showed that she is in favor of racial discrimination in the voting context. And what I'm talking about here is um, uh, Senator Hirono asked uh, Judge Kavanaugh about an amicus brief that he wrote with uh, actually Robert Bork mm-hmm. back when there was a case before the U.S. Supreme Court called Rice versus Cayetano. And in, and in essence, the state government in Hawaii was preventing Hawaiian residents from voting uh, based on their ancestry. So, you know, you could be an African-American, your family could have lived in uh, uh, Hawaii for 100 years, and you were not able to register and not able to vote unless you could prove that your family's ancestry uh, uh, made you a Hawaiian native back in the 1700s. The Supreme, that case was the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court agreed with the position taken by Judge Kavanaugh in an amicus brief that the Voting Rights Act and the Constitution do not allow mm-hmm. discrimination on the basis of race and certainly not on the basis of ancestry when it is being basically used the same way race is. And yet Hir- Hirono was criticizing Kavanaugh for taking that position. Pretty, pretty crazy. So, okay, let's move on to the Ginsburg rule and the so-called precedent of nominees. So that was a, that was a new phrase uh, that, that I had not heard before. But when he was asked uh, about a lot of cases, Judge Kavanaugh cited what he called nominee precedent. So, Tom, what did he mean by that? And what's the Ginsburg rule? Well, in preparation for this hearing, um, Judge Kavanaugh not only kind of studied his own record, his own past decisions, and kind of boned up on what the law was in different areas, but he also looked at how previous nominees, Supreme Court nominees, uh, handled themselves in these hearings because he knew that certain kinds of issues were going to come up, certain kind of questions would be asked. And remember, we we call him Judge Kavanaugh because that's exactly what he is. He's already (laughs) a sitting judge. Uh, Not every Supreme Court nominee is. Uh, when they have their hearing. Most of them are, though. And that means that he already has a present obligation to be impartial. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, it, that's in addition to his future obligation uh, when he joins the Supreme Court. So uh, for almost 80 years, uh, every Supreme Court nominee that coming before the Judiciary Committee um, has refused to discuss their own views on issues or cases that could come before them on the Supreme Court. I thought Judge Kavanaugh did a better job than most at explaining um, how he was going to do that. Mm-hmm. He, in other words, and, and he said in, it included a thumbs up or a thumbs down <laughs> on um, past precedent because one kind of sneaky way of trying to find out how you are going to rule on a case in the future is to say whether you think past precedents about that issue were correctly decided. And it was... Uh, Elena Kagan, actually, who who specifically gave it the thumbs up, thumbs down uh, <laughs> kind of formulation. Um, it's been called the Ginsburg standard or the Ginsburg rule because Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1993 really gave a forceful uh, explanation of that position. Mm-hmm. She said a nominee can't give you any hints, forecasts or previews because it would that would literally show disdain for the entire judicial process, that impartiality is mm-hmm. more important than what a, a, a politician wants to find out on, on specific issues. So Kavanaugh uh, had studied that. He had gone over and looked at and read what now how nominees have handled that. Every nominee has asked those kinds of questions. Uh, and he did a very good job of stating his position, explaining the basis for it, and sticking to it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, no, no one likes it when their questions aren't answered to their liking. <laughs> yeah. I want to find out something from you and you're not going to tell me that's that's not going to make me happy. And we that's fine. Um, but Kavanaugh took a, a, a principled position. It's a position that's consistent with every Supreme Court nominee that's come before the committee. And it's one that he has to take because he is already a sitting judge. And he really did. He really does prize his impartiality and he protected it. Uh, against an awful lot of efforts to get past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I should mention the, the different ways that's looked at. <laughs> Someone sent me an email. They had dug up two separate New York Times headlines. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Okay, and, and one of them when it was about when Elena Kagan was refusing to answer hypothetical questions about how she'd rule, and the New York Times headline was basically saying how she that was the right thing to do and it was the proper behavior. <laughs> and then they compared to the uh, headline that the New York Times had just given on Kavanaugh, talking about how he's avoiding answering he's questions. He's dodging questions. He's dodging questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, putting that principle in into application, uh, he was asked numerous times about Roe v. Wade, which obviously this is one of the big issues that has been looming over this entire confirmation process. The left has wanted to make this all about the future of abortion. Uh, but Kavanaugh was unwilling to say, you know, if he thinks it was rightly decided or wrongly decided, he he simply said over and over and over, it's settled law. It's entitled to respect uh, under the principles of stare decisis. It was reaffirmed in in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and he called it that that makes it precedent on precedent. Um, you know, and he he went through some of the principles of of stare decisis that a court looks at when it's evaluating its own decisions. And in fact, he and a dozen other appeals court judges wrote an entire book about all of this. So he he knows what he's talking about. Uh, but midway through the week, the New York Times published a leaked email from Kavanaugh's time in the White House. And in the email, he was reviewing a draft op-ed supporting one of President Bush's judicial nominees. And the draft said. Uh, It stated something along the lines of legal scholars across the board agree that Roe v. Wade is settled law. And so in the email from the, you know, early 2000s, Kavanaugh wrote, I'm not sure that all legal scholars refer to Roe as settled law of the land. And so the the left tried to turn this into some bombshell uh, revelation when, in fact, Kavanaugh was simply (laughs) stating a fact there are legal scholars who don't think. Observe about the five degrees of separation. He didn't even say. Uh, what he thinks. Not, well, he certainly didn't say that, but he didn't even say uh, not all scholars agree on this. He said, I'm not sure that all <laughs> scholars. I mean, he was even so tentative in that email. But, of course, that's true. There's many legal yeah. scholars today that don't see it as, quote, settled, unquote. Uh, and that word means different things to different people. In the context of a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, mm-hmm. saying that a Supreme Court precedent is settled is nothing more than saying that it is, in fact, a precedent of the Supreme Court. Every justice, no matter which president appoints them, whether they're liberal or conservative, every justice believes that the, the, the court should follow its precedents. The, the, the differences come in how uh, easily they think the court should depart from that position. But mm-hmm. that's the default position for everyone. Right. And and Kavanaugh explained the process that the court goes through mm-hmm. when it considers, it doesn't do it very often, but when it reconsiders its precedents, there are certain criteria that it files. He actually used the same language in answering uh, questions like that that Justice Sotomayor did mm-hmm. in 2010. Um, so, you know, Democratic senators who had a problem with his answer certainly didn't object when Sotomayor <laughs> said the same thing. Yeah, and and look, we should we should mention, you know, there are precedents, but then there are precedents. 
And you saw that. <laughs> you saw that in the hearing where, you know, the Democrats are all pushing really hard. Roe versus Wade is a super precedent. You know, it can't ever be overturned. And yet they also asked uh, Kavanaugh questions of and were extremely critical of the Citizens United decision, mm -hmm. which they all hate and disagree with, and they want overturned. Well, and, and they want Kavanaugh to say he will not overturn the abortion precedent Roe versus Wade, but the Supreme Court also upheld the constitutionality of the partial birth abortion ban. Mm -hmm. Do they want that one to stay on the books as well? I mean, there, 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 there's a hundred examples like that. Kavanaugh addressed the issue properly, which was not in the in the context of a specific issue or a specific case. He talked about principles, criteria, standards. He talked about how he as a justice or the court would approach any suggestion mm -hmm. that a precedent should be reconsidered. And that's what we really ought to know is how, how Justice Kavanaugh will approach all of his cases, not, not just any particular issue, particular issue, not right. how are you going to handle this versus how are you going to handle that. But how are you going to approach all of your cases? How are you going to use precedent no matter who the parties are? And I think he did a very good job of explaining that. So overall, do you think this week was a win for Kavanaugh or a win for the Democrats? Well, I no, I think it was a big win for Kavanaugh. Um, as we all know, because the Washington Post made a big deal about it, he's a big baseball fan. And uh, look, there were there are 21, um, 21 senators on the uh, committee so if you if you liken this to a baseball game, I think he scored runs in all 21 innings with no <laughs> with no errors. I mean, K Kavanaugh at times displayed an almost encyclopedic knowledge, not only of his own decisions, but of important Supreme Court decisions. I mean, if somebody took notes of mm -hmm. the answers he'd given, you you could use it to write a treatise on constitutional law. Yeah. I mean, he 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 made no error. I saw no errors, mm -hmm. no no mistakes. I saw lots of mistakes by the senator by senators. Yeah, some true. of them big, big, well, big. Like bloopers. Feinstein saying that uh, as many as 1.2 million women uh, were had died from illegal abortions before Roe v. Wade was decided, and right. you know she cites the Guttmacher Institute, and I went and pulled the report, and they they said that that's how many illegal abortions were occurring, not right. how many women were dying from right. them. So I think he comes out way ahead. The, the Democrats didn't get what they wanted. They wanted some substantive error or mm -hmm. him misspeaking on some issue that they could then blow up and used against him. I don't think they got that. And look, th this process has changed a lot over the years. This mm -hmm. is the 11th Supreme Court nomination I've been involved in over the last 30 years. It has changed radically so that the measure of, you know, a win or a loss or, or kind of what your expectations are has changed a lot over the years. Um, but he he was able to explain well um, his approach to judging, mm -hmm. what he would bring to the Supreme Court. What he explained in the hearing is consistent with what his decisions are on the U.S. Court of Appeals, the speeches he gave, including here at the Heritage Foundation. Um, and, and from that, the, it couldn't have gone better in that regard because that's the information that we need to know at this point in this process. Mm -hmm. Plus... He, as, as Hans was explaining, he, he, he did not stumble. He did not, um, there wasn't any kind of a gotcha disaster or anything like that. It was sort of like put your slicker over your head and wait till the monsoon passes. But, <laughs> but he did get some very valuable information out for people who were listening to the substance of what he was saying. And, and for that, I was very grateful because that, you know, we really do need a better understanding among, 
Americans about the judiciary. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I think he contributed to that in a positive way. Boy, and boy, does he have endurance. Yeah. I mean, what, thir- what, what was it like? 13 hours. 13 yeah. hours one day he's on the stand. That, and uh, that uh, I am I was impressed just with that. Well, and I, and I went back uh, actually just this morning, was looking at previous uh, hearings for Supreme Court nominees, uh, going back to Ginsburg, just on the number of hours right. that they were. And I, my guesstimate is he was before the committee for seven or eight hours longer uh, than than the last, you know, six or seven nominees mm-hmm. uh, under under conditions, and that's what we've been part of what we've been talking about that were you know very intense and very yeah. confrontational and very divisive. Just the sheer number of hours is bad enough, but then um, that, that's a very difficult thing for a person to do, and and he really did it well. Yeah, I think Grassley's staff uh, they might have tweeted this or emailed this out, but it was thirty two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that Kavanaugh was, and, and, I, and I gotta uh, hand it to Chairman Grassley. He <laughs> did uh, uh, an excellent job of leading that committee under these circumstances. Uh, some people thought he might have, you Trying know, rain in the circus. Well, been a little bit too lenient, but his approach, you know, is to 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 let people say what they're going to say, let senators. Uh, who are members of the committee, after all, uh, say their piece. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be criticized later for having, you know, shut anybody down or anything like that. And look what happened. They went on and on and only exposed more and more what they're really all about and gave uh, Kavanaugh even more of an opportunity to really explain and to show what kind of a quality nominee he is. Well, I think my favorite exchange of the week was between uh, Senator Mike Lee and Kavanaugh, he asked him, you know, what, what's your favorite Federalist paper? And then Kavanaugh, you know, rattles off seven and tells him exactly why. And I, I just I thought that was a, a great moment in the week. Um, <laughs> what, what, what a nerd. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, and, and I got to say, yeah. uh, um, uh, if you watched the hearing and, you know, his family was there, you'd mentioned the, the girls basketball team that came in. Yeah. That is a genuine part of Brett Kavanaugh's life. That's not not just a stunt. That's not just for optics. I mean, I remember early on when the Washington Post went to a a restaurant in his neighborhood that he Mm -hmm. goes to after he coaches the basketball team. And the the guy working in the restaurant didn't even know he was a federal judge. All he knew was that he was Coach K who, you know, loves his kids and, and helps out. So, he he really is a remarkably good person, and because mm-hmm. uh, you can be a good judge while being a jerk. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 and uh, you know that is true. But he, he's a good person, and he's going to be a great justice. Well, the the committee will uh, will meet next week for their executive session, and I, I don't think they'll vote him out of a re- vote to report. Yeah, their him out their next business week. meetings are on Thursdays, uh, and next week Thursday, I suspect this will be on the agenda, but it'll mm-hmm. probably be held over for a week. Mm-hmm. So they'll probably vote the nomination to the full Senate on the 20th or so. Mm-hmm. And the week of the 24th is when it'll be debated and voted on by the full Senate, I suspect. And yeah. um, so he'll Hans, be I don't know what your prediction is, but I think he'll no, not I only think, be confirmed, but I think he'll get a few Democratic votes. Yeah, I think that's a, a strong possibility. And I, I do think that Senator McConnell is going to push this to get him confirmed by October 1st. Yeah. The reason being, obviously, that's the first Monday in October, and that's when the new Supreme Court starts up. And they want that ninth justice on the court. Well, hopefully he'll he'll get there uh, at least a few days ahead of time so he can prepare for the <laughs> yeah. first week of argument. <laughs> well, he's he's got thirty years ahead of him, yeah. <laughs> so if he, if he gets there with ten minutes to spare, that'll be fine. <laughs> well, Hans, Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to SCOTUS 101. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please leave us a rating if you enjoy listening. 
Please follow us on Twitter at SCOTUS101, and you can email us at SCOTUS101 at heritage.org with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. You've been listening to SCOTUS 101, executive produced by Elizabeth Slattery. Sound design by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersat. For more information, visit heritage.org. I'm Rob Bluey, editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal. And I'm Ginny Maltabano. Each weekday, The Daily Signal delivers the Morning Bell email direct to your inbox. We created the Morning Bell to be your one-stop source for credible news reporting and insightful commentary on the issues that are shaping the agenda. You can subscribe today and get it delivered to your inbox each weekday morning. Sign up now at DailySignal.com. Just click on the Connect button at the top of the page and subscribe today.